Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Stacy. Stacy refers to herself as an ordinary person with an extraordinary attitude. I like the word extraordinary. It is one of, you know, that and plethora and, you know, there's words where you're just like, I like those big words. Uh, despite facing adversity, Stacy is committed to not only surviving, but also thriving. Facing many health challenges, she chooses to use these experiences as an example of living with intention and purpose. Her mission is to connect with individuals suffering with hopes of inspiring a desire to heal and grow. Ultimately, Stacy seeks to draw an individual inward, reminding them of their innate strength and magic. You see, I read these sometimes and I was just like, you know what, if people have been listening long enough, they know. I don't get this perfect all the time and I do edit it, but like, there's only so much editing that will deal with my brain. So Stacy, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to chat. Yeah. I wanted you to share, you mentioned in your bio about health challenges. And again, I want to apologize to the audience listening. My voice sounds weird. I'm having thyroid surgery in a couple of weeks. It's the thyroid that makes it crack up and sound awful. Hopefully it'll be improved after the surgery. I'm like this, I'm a podcast host. I need y'all to fix this. Um, so <laughs> speaking of health challenges, so mm-hmm. you mentioned that you have health challenges. I would love for you to start sharing some of those with us. Maybe take us back to when they started. I know, uh, via your application, there's multiple going on. Um, Mm -hmm. There's one in particular I want to touch on before the end of this podcast, because it's relatively new thing, but anyways, take us back. Okay. I would love to. So I started having some health issues when I was a child. It basically came out as chronic infections, kidney, bladder, uh, pneumonia, bronchitis, a lot of recurrent infections. So I spent a lot of my childhood just unwell in general. However, once I hit my teen years, things began to escalate and I was dealing with really extreme fatigue and I started having a lot of chronic pain. I ended up having at the time, um, four orthopedic surgeries, thinking that my pain was about an actual problem. And now we finally became, came to understand it was really more of a widespread autoimmune type thing. So once I hit my early twenties, I suppose that's when, you know, everything just was out of control at that point. I ended up having multiple brain surgeries. I had dozens of hospitalizations and this is all before I'm like 23. And what I ended up discovering was that I have lupus. I have um, a disorder called pseudotumor cerebri, which is actually similar to like hydrocephalus, which is like water on the brain. It's similar to that. I also have adrenal insufficiency, which was really just diagnosed in the last six years or so. 
And then I also have some other little, I guess you would call them cousins of lupus. Sometimes when you get into that, the autoimmune disease, there's so many overlapping symptoms that it's pretty common that you get little offshoots. But the core thing that I really struggle with on a regular basis is really my chronic pain as a result of the lupus. And it, you know, for example, I'm having some RA symptoms now. Well, when you're going through the process of getting diagnosed with autoimmune disease, you have to have specific symptoms for a specific set of time. So who knows what that's going to turn into. But really the reality of life for me is that I struggle with really severe pain on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And it has been honestly, quite frankly, really traumatizing. I didn't expect it. You know, it's funny because when you're amidst health challenges, there've been so many times when people have been like, are you doing okay emotionally? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. I just want to feel better. I need to get through it. And really in the last, I'm almost 40. And I really just realized in the last two or three years, how much medical trauma I have, the reality of that PTSD, that it really imprints on your brain and your body. So I'm kind of like working through that. Of course, with all of these, you know, health problems, I do struggle with depression and anxiety. I think that's just kind of a reality when you have chronic health issues as part of my health. You know, I think two of the biggest things that I've grieved would be I mean, I'm fine now, but we weren't able to have biological children. Mm -hmm. We lost four pregnancies. You know, we went through all of that mess and that was all amidst being unwell, but it's okay. Now it's worked out for the good. And I'd be really excited to share that later if you want to. But the second thing I really think that I've grieved is just who I intended to be. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have a picture of, or an expectation of what we think life's going to look like and life has looked drastically different, but I've realized that, you know, there was one, at one point I felt really imprisoned by the fact that my pain wasn't going to go away anytime soon. I felt very imprisoned by the fact that my diet, there's no like final fix to what's going on, but I finally came to realize that. A lot of it for me is going to be about, it's about my attitude and my mindset. And I've really retrained my mind to focus on the joy in the journey. And I've learned that I can actually still thrive amidst the challenges. And that makes day-to-day living a lot more tolerable, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. This is like very timely for me. Um, my oldest daughter started developing health problems. She's going to be 19. Well, when you, when everybody hears this, she'll already be 19, but when we're uh-huh. talking, she turns 19 this Sunday and she started developing health problems a couple of years ago and they've drastically progressed over the last couple of years and they don't know what's wrong with her. And she's being referred to this specialist and that specialist. And this I've specialist. been there. And I don't know what to do for her. I mean, she's out on her own too, but like, I don't know what to do for her because like, there's no answers to why she's feeling the way she is and why, and, and she got COVID in January and almost was hospitalized because they don't, 
know what's wrong with her and her doctor's thinking maybe it's an autoimmune something because she was vaccinated and she didn't have antibodies. Like she got really sick. Like, That's wow. Yeah. And it was terrifying. And so I don't know. I, I mean, this is very timely because I don't even know how to help her with that. Well, I understand. I, for me, the diagnosis process was, you know, the pseudotumor cerebri was a much easier thing. It wasn't easy to go through, but it was easier to diagnose. Um, the autoimmune stuff, you know, my symptoms really started as a teen and I was 28 when I was actually diagnosed. And I, I talked to so many young women and so many moms of young women that are going through this. And so what I'll share with you is that I always say, be psychotic in your documentation. There's, and there's really some cool apps now that really help with documenting symptoms. So document your symptoms. I, I also strongly encourage photo documentation. Mm -hmm. So if you get like swelling in joints, um, you know, rash, things like that, because some of the guidelines for like lupus require photo documentation. So I went through like, if a doctor didn't see it, they weren't willing to count certain things. And I finally got to the point where I started realizing, okay, you know, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands because And that's the other thing that I really share. And I can tell you're already doing this, but it's about making sure she knows that even amidst her suffering, she has to be her own advocate. Mm -hmm. She has to use her voice. She has to say, no, send me to someone else. You know, it doesn't matter how many doctors you see, if you're still suffering and you're not happy with where you're at, find someone else because eventually things will click. And I've also learned that with the autoimmune process, sometimes it's a matter of getting through until certain, the symptoms all manifest. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard because that's basically saying, keep suffering and wait. Yeah. That's hard. So the other thing that I always encourage young women to do is if they're not already start seeing a therapist, mm-hmm. um, because internalizing all of that stress really just exacerbates the symptoms. Yeah. And, and the, and the thing with, with hers, I've already told her to document it. I'm like, right down of course. every symptom. And then we had a, a Facebook friend, a mutual Facebook friend. That's like, not just document their symptoms, like your mom said, which is great. Um, but document time day. Oh yes. Like everything. How long they lasted. Um, what did you eat that day? All of it. Oh, well, I'll have to add that to her list. I I mean, really it's like a daily journal of what life, what you did that day, because we really can't see patterns amidst it. It's really only looking back when we can see a pattern. So journaling is crucial to being able to help yourself yeah. Journaling is the number one thing that I journaling or do, documentation or in, in whatever form you choose in my mind is the very most important thing. So being so sick for so long, you missed out on a lot of things. What was that like for you? How have you been able to, you know, recon- reconcile mm-hmm. <laughs> like missing out on all of those things? Sure. You know, 
honestly, it was harder. That part was harder on my spouse. And the reason why it wasn't as hard on me is because I was so sick that I couldn't care. Mm-hmm. I just was so sick that I didn't even have the energy to care about it. Yeah. I missed the, you know, I've had several, I've had a couple Christmases where I was in the hospital birthdays. I've been, I mean, there've been so many hospitalizations that they've completely overlapped important things. But what I learned over time is that specifically like holidays and birthdays, that is about being with your people. It is about spending that one-on-one with them. And it really doesn't matter when it happens, you know? Yeah. Um, I think my husband, on the other hand, and even my children, when we've had to miss things, it's much more painful for them because they aren't miserably sick and to have to miss out on things is it just sucks for them, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't imagine. And it's hard for people to understand if they've never been Mm -hmm. there, right. You can't, they can't understand the pain or what you're going through. I mean, I'm sure they empathize, but they, Mm -hmm. they literally on a visceral level cannot get what you're going through. Exactly. But they also know that on my good days, they get 150% of me. So that's something I learned, you know, up front is that I've learned to give myself grace on the days I don't feel well, but then I bust my ass on the days when I do feel well, yeah. whether it be, you know, and an example would be the, over the weekend, I didn't feel well. Well, my house looks like a tornado hit it. Yeah. But I woke up today feeling a lot better. So I'm going to bust my hump today and get it pulled together. My kids were really patient with me this weekend. They gave me the space I needed. So I'm going to make sure that even if I'm tired and struggling a little tonight, if they ask to play another board game, I say, yes, they know that they're going to get the best of me on the, whenever I can, they've learned to trust that they're always getting the best of me. If I can give it to them, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can, I can relate to that, not in the chronic pain area, but as most people who have listened to podcasts for a long time, know I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, right. Looking back, I've dealt with the symptom. I've been depressed, like pretty much my entire life since I was a kid, but I've had the mania portion of it since I was a teenager. So I, before my diagnosis, which was only like three years ago, um, I had those ups and downs oh, and everything. Heart. So there was times where I was really depressed and I just could Aww. not be there for my kids. Um, but you know, when I felt better, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can understand a hundred percent, like on that aspect where you're coming from. Oh, sure. It, you know, it's funny you, that you put it like that. That's actually kind of what I stand for when I use TikTok or whatever platform I'm on. It's about the fact that sure. We may not all be, I think suffering is suffering Mm -hmm. and it may not be that we're suffering from the same thing, but you know, I've heard this saying like that love is the universal language of the heart or whatever, but I think suffering is the second universal language of the heart. You don't have to go through something to understand the misery they must be experiencing. I, a lot of times I'll hear people say things like, well, I've not been through anything like you've been through, but you know, it's that kind of feeling like your trauma isn't valid because it's not as quote unquote severe. And I, I just hate that because again, suffering is suffering. And I feel like if we spent more time viewing it from that perspective, 
we would validate our own experiences more, which would allow us to show up better for others. Yeah. Yeah. I get that comment too. Like, oh yeah, I deal with, you know, some depression or anxiety, but nothing to the level that you must deal with. And I'm like, but it sucks no matter what level. (laughs) Yeah. Misery is misery. And like for you to have, for you to have went your entire life until just a few years ago, I think that really shows your resilience. That's, that's really, uh, I, I find that really inspiring, frankly. Oh, thank you. Well, I find your story very inspiring too, because well, you dealt with <laughs> your end of things since you were a child as well. Yeah. So you've mentioned your kids a couple times and you mentioned earlier, you had struggles, um, having kids, like being able to actually like conceive children. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, biological, not biological, your kids are your kids. Um, but if you want to share with us a little bit about that, we've talked before about infertility and miscarriages and, and how, how impactful that is. So if you're willing, I would, I Mm -hmm. would love to hear how that experience was for you. Absolutely. So we were in our early twenties and one of my physicians made the comment to me, he said, if you're wanting to have kids, I suggest you get on it. And I look back on that and I really wish he hadn't said that to me because we weren't, I mean, we, we definitely wanted to have children, but it just wasn't on our radar yet. And it just put something in me where I just, I just couldn't let it go anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I started to have these, this thing, I was operating from this place of anxiety, like, Oh, if I don't do it now, it's going to escape me. Mm-hmm. And so we, we joke that my husband could look at me and I would get pregnant. So I would get pregnant, but I would miscarry, you know, between that like 10 and 12 week mark typically. And the first couple wasn't as big of a deal. The third miscarriage ended up being really traumatic because I amidst that I needed to have a brain surgery. Well, when I was like nine weeks pregnant and the doctor had said, listen, I've never done this before. I guarantee you, if we put you under general, you're going to miscarry. If you're willing to, I'm willing to put you under like a sedation type thing and we'll do the surgery. And of course I said, sure, let's do it. Well, even though they had planned on me being completely out in terms of consciousness I had an anaphylactic reaction to one of the meds they were using and I quote unquote woke up and it ended up being super traumatic and I lost the baby anyway. And that was a big deal. I, I kind of thought I was done. I'm like, I'm not, I don't think I want to try this anymore, but it's amazing what a little bit of time will do for you. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought, so, and really when I say a little bit of time, it was a few months later, we decided to try one more time. I got pregnant. We had a really good start. Everything looked really great. We were doing injection. I was doing heparin injections every so many hours for, to keep my blood thin. Um, so this was it. And I had gotten to see the heartbeat, which I didn't usually get to experience that really. Yeah. And then I got a really bad infection and I was in the hospital for like two weeks right around Christmas. And it, it's almost a blur. It was so traumatic though, because I had gotten my hopes up so much Mm -hmm. at that point. I was like, we, we figured it out. We got it. It was the furthest we'd gotten in our pregnancy. 
I was so excited. And I talk about this moment a lot because it really changed my life. I was sitting on the edge of the hospital bed and I was a mess. And my doctor was talking to me and he was just shocked. He was like, I really thought this was it. You know, I'm so sorry. And I responded with, well, the next time I lose a baby and I realized that I had already decided that this wasn't going to work. Yeah. And so at that point, I'm just putting myself through misery Mm -hmm. because I'm a very intuitive person. I really believe in our intuition. And I really felt like that was my intuition telling me like, okay, this isn't for you anymore. Yeah. So, you know, I talk a lot about how in the movies, the moments when the hero or the heroine take back their power, it's this big, mighty thing. Yeah. And I think it's the opposite. We take back our power in the moments where we're the quietest, where we feel the weakest. And I took back my power in that moment. I said, that's it. I'm done. I literally whispered, I'm done. And my husband who had, who is like the most patient, loving, supportive man in the entire world, you know, he had left it up to me anyway, whatever I wanted to do. He was like, that's fine. I just want you to be healthy. And we decided to just let it go for a while. And we for sure had decided that if the opportunity presented itself to us, we wanted to adopt, Mm -hmm. but, but we needed a break from talking about it, thinking about it, all of it. Within a matter of just a couple of months, we got a phone call from, so we had worked at a boys and girls club when we were teens and I mentored a lot of teenage girls that were like three years younger than me, four years younger. And one of those girls had found out now she's a woman. She had found out that we were still trying to have kids and hadn't been able to, and wanted to chat. And this was her third pregnancy. She was um, 21. And I want to point out, because I think a lot of times it's a misconception. She's very healthy in a good place mentally. She just wanted to do what was right for her existing children and for Mm -hmm. the new baby. That's all. And we met. And then three months later, our daughter was born. So I think, you know, that old phrase, they say, well, when you stop trying, it's when it happens or whatever, there is something to be said about surrendering and letting what will be, be, I -hmm. think, I don't know if you, what you think about manifestation. I know that's a big trend right now, but you know, (laughs) I joke around and say, well, I manifested my babies because I decided to start honoring what was right for me. I quit making myself like putting myself through that suffering But then, so we knew we have an open, legally, it's a closed adoption, but we have an open adoption because we joke around that they've adopted us at this point. Uh, We're all very close. I'm actually, we're going to the funeral home later um, for one of the grandparents on that side. Um, But we truly gained a family when we Mm -hmm. got Elliot. So we were done. We, cause we knew a situation like that would never present itself again. Right. Yeah. Well, five years ago now, another same situation, another mother who was rebuilding her life and wasn't able to care for all of her children got in touch with us. She knew we were maintaining a healthy, open adoption with our other daughter, with our child, our other child. 
And we ended up adopting our son when he was just, he moved in with us when he was three. And I think his adoption was finally a year and a half later or so, but he's been ours since he moved in. So it's just incredible to me that one child was brought to us, you know, laid in our lap, but not only one, but a second child came to us. And I, I just feel like the story is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I feel like had I not taken back my power in that moment when I was physically at my weakest, emotionally at one of my weakest points, I don't think we'd be here. So I think it really speaks to the importance of recognizing that you can take your power back at any time in your life. You don't have to be at that doesn't happen when you're at the height of things. It happens when shit falls apart and you're like, okay, I have two choices. This is either going to break me or it's going to make me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, I like, I, I appreciate you pointing out um, the, the mother's situations because there's so much stigma and shame and judgment around women giving their kids up for adoption and really we should be praising them for like knowing their limits and knowing like I cannot give all these children the best life possible. And they obviously knew that you and your spouse were amazing individuals. And I mean, you have open, I mean, you have legally closed adoptions, but you have open adoptions. You have relationships with these women, they knew that you were a safe place to give their kids to. And I, I, you know, I give them so much, you know, credit for knowing, like, I can't take care of this child the way they deserve. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to find somebody who can. And I think I, I really appreciate you pointing that out because there's just too much stigma and shame around that. There really is. And you know, their decision to allow us, I can speak firsthand, their decision to allow us to parent the kids were, I mean, that was not an easy decision for them. Mm -hmm. And it's a decision that they still both have to work through. It's a continual grief, a cycle of grief. Um, But it is really, and so a lot of times there is, it's also important to acknowledge that no matter the circumstances, even having an open relationship with them, healthy, open relationship. Um, it's really important to still point out that there is grief for the children. There's still trauma for the children. That is part of what it means to be pulled from your biological mother. I believe that, you know, my daughter, she was born, I was in the room, they handed her to me, but I still believe that there is trauma because well, science tells us now that there's, that there's trauma at that point from being pulled from your biological mother. But I just want to make sure I point that out because a lot of times adoption is looked at as this like beautiful, oh my gosh, look what you've done for them. And yeah, we have been able to give them really stable, beautiful lives and, and a beautiful home and a solid foundation but that doesn't mean that it's not without challenges for them right. as well. So I just want to also point that out, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, that is very important. Um, 
I don't have personal experience with adoption, but I um, have definitely seen and heard, you know, the different sort of things that come on both ends from the biological mother and the children. Um, I know a few people who were adopted. And so anyways, to pivot, um, (laughs) you mentioned in your article or your article, your application Uh that you got long COVID. Am I correct in that? No, no, oh, you didn't. Well, no. I was like, that's the thing that I wanted. To- <laughs> yes. Oh, so sorry. No, no I fine. didn't. I mean, you may have, I may have mentioned in there that because of my autoimmune disease, we had to literally isolate for a year and a maybe half. Maybe that, maybe um, I saw COVID and I just yeah. assumed long COVID because yeah. it's something nobody's talking about, but it is definitely a, a after effect of having COVID for people who have other, you know, comorbidities or not. And it's just now getting like a spotlight that this is a significant problem, but yeah, share with us a little bit what, what it's been like, you know, living with COVID and knowing you have an autoimmune disorder that puts you at a even higher risk. Right. So it's interesting intuitively the, I guess it would have been November of 2019, I started staying at home a lot more. I told my husband that I just kind of had this gut feeling that the flu season was going to be really bad. And he ended up being really sick at Christmas. We look back now and we wonder if he had COVID. It could be. Yeah. Right. And it kind of, it was, it was awful. He was very sick and, you know, he doesn't get super sick all the time, but I intuitively just kind of had this feeling and I'm so grateful. I, So I stayed at home kind of as much as I could that fall or that winter. Then of course, March of 2020 happened and school was canceled. My kids came home full time and we started, we really started isolating like completely my husband. (laughs) And, you know, you remember at the beginning, like, I don't know about how, how you guys chose to handle it, but we were psycho at the beginning. Like we washed oh, yeah. every bit of groceries that Sprayed came in. their like, groceries down. We had no idea because things. none of us knew. Yeah, we they didn't, didn't know. know. Yeah. Right. We didn't know. So I look back and I'm like, man, wow, that was that was intense. But my kids ended up staying at home until this school year. So, you know, they spent the entire next school year out at home. And Honestly, people are always like, you got to be kidding me, but it has truly been a really beautiful experience for my kids and I, (laughs) we really loved the break from the sports, the activities, the, um, it was just so incredible to all of a sudden, you know what it's like, once your kids get into elementary school, you feel like you're going 15 ways at once, but we just I don't know. It was really wonderful. Now on the opposite side, I was terrified. I was terrified to get it because at the time I was having some kidney issues. And so they were increasing my autoimmune meds and they kept saying, listen, this puts you at more risk. This puts you even more at risk. And, you know, one of my doctors was really blunt with me and was like, Stacey, if you get this, I don't know that you would survive it. So I need you to take this really seriously. Well, that's terrifying. I mean, every mom worries about not living till their kids are adults. That's just something we go through as moms. Yeah. Um, So that was really scary. I think that the biggest thing that was a challenge 
other than trying to keep my kids busy and not miserable and not getting depressed and things of that nature. I think the biggest thing was navigating my marriage in terms of the fact that he still had to go to work. We had to have a paycheck. You know, I was already, I'm at home anyway, but also, you know, navigating for he and I, we didn't always, we haven't always met eye to eye on how to handle things. I being way more conservative. Yeah. And I completely understand his frustration with that, but at the same time, he also has to respect it, you know? So I think for, for my family, the biggest challenge was navigating, not always seeing eye to eye on things. Mm -hmm. And the truth is in the grand scheme of things, we actually were kind of in line. So I can't imagine some of these homes where you have two completely polar opposites. Oh my gosh, I know. And I've seen that. And I'm just like, how are you guys operating? Because I mean, this has had, I mean, it's torn families apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know people who literally don't have anything to do with their families anymore because they're like, you're not respecting my wishes and you're not respecting, you know, taking my health into consideration or anything like that. I'm fortunate that my sister who is like six and a half hours for me. And I see quite often is very respectful. My middle daughter who lives with her biological dad per her choice, um, her dad is high risk. So they're very careful. And so Mm -hmm. most, I haven't really had to deal with people not being careful and wanting to like, see me. Um, most people like, um, respected our decision. They, my kids school just stopped wearing, like they repealed the mask mandate recently and they're still wearing masks because their sister's high risk. And we're not just going to go, all right, we know she's coming like soon. So mask on mask off mask on that, that defeats the point. You can't do that. No. So we, we choose to wear our mask and stuff. We really haven't like dealt with a lot of the negativity other people have. And I was, I was really fortunate one. I think we're fortunate that we have multiple kids, right? Cause our kids can entertain mm-hmm. each other. So they're not mm-hmm. really missing out on as much as like maybe somebody who has like one child and who does mm-hmm. not have other people like other kids to entertain them. But also my, my spouse was in the Navy and he was, he deployed, he was on submarine. He deployed March of 2020 Bless and he came heart. back over six months later. So I didn't have to deal with the aspect of him having his own opinion about COVID because he literally did not have like any interaction with it. They had safe ports where they pulled in, um, and safe ports. I mean, they took extra precautions, like not to get COVID. Um, they had to, the first time they pulled into port, they had to make their own masks because they didn't know and they didn't have masks on board because they, they had been anything. out when it happened yeah, and they were in a submarine. So they were not like coming in contact with anybody else. So when he came home, it was a complete culture shock. And so he really didn't have opinions about COVID. He just kind of let me take like the reins in deciding what we are and are not comfortable with. Um, and really we haven't butt heads at all. Like we have been really like on board, but yeah, it was, for me, I didn't have to deal with that because like he literally didn't experience the first six, seven months of COVID. That's fascinating. I didn't, um, I didn't see, but have you interviewed him? 
Because I would, I mean, I think you should. I would love to know like what his perspective on that is. He's an introverted like. individual. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like this is my thing. And he's just like, no, like because um I was a guest on a the bipolar girl podcast and they asked, uh-huh. like, we would love to hear a spouse perspective when your spouse like to come on. Mm. And he was like, no, absolutely not. Um, I am an introvert. I have no interest in sh- like sharing things like that. That would make me really uncomfortable. And I was like, no, I completely understand. My husband's the same way. Yeah. So like, yeah. it was completely different experience uh, for us. And I, you know, I can't imagine those families where they were like budding because there's like two polar opposite opinions. Yeah about COVID. I know so when people ask me that question I'm always like well actually it worked out really well for my family I, <laughs> yeah I really appreciated the, having the downtime and yeah. frankly it was very emotionally healing I was able to I believe it's what ended up bringing forward some of this trauma that I've been working through because I think my body had time to stop and physically rest so it just I don't know it was really healing for me Yeah. What about the treatment? Were you able to get the treatment you needed during that time? Because I know a lot of things shut down. I could only see my doctor virtually. Right. So yes, I went to virtual appointments basically. And then what I would do was go into the hospital quarterly for extra blood work and things like that, especially since they weren't seeing me in the office on a regular basis. The biggest issue that I ran into is that I had a few times with my adrenal insufficiency, it's pretty severe. And so in normal times, it's pretty common for me to have, now that I'm really controlled, a couple hospitalizations a year. At the beginning, it was just every other week. But I had a few instances where I really probably should have been impatient, but really the mindset was, if you can get through it at home at all, do it because you're higher. I would have gotten COVID. Yeah. (laughs) I would have gotten COVID if I went in, you know? So, you know, there were a couple of times when I was just deathly sick, but again, it was safer to be at home and just kind of suffer through it. It just, it just basically took me, you know, three times as long to kind of, you know, you don't have those IV fluids and meds. So it worked out, but it was just inconvenient. Yeah. I think that's something a lot of people don't realize is the disruption in Mm -hmm. medical care during that time, because Mm -hmm. a a lot, a lot of us didn't have to deal with that. Right. Like I saw Mm -hmm. my doctor virtually, it did contribute to my thyroid problem, not being like diagnosed earlier because I only saw them virtually. So they're not feeling on my, you know, throat and stuff. I mean, however, it's, it's not, it's not like it, it's not like it affects me in like in a really dramatic way, but a lot of people don't realize is COVID, especially when we get the surges really disrupts medical care for people who really need it. Oh, it's, I was terrified that, you know, one of the things that we talked about with my physician was the reality of what normally could be an infection that I would go in the hospital for and get IV meds could potentially kill me if we can't get the a bed or get the care we need, you know, for people like I, uh, for people like myself, that I think for me was even almost more, more terrifying than getting COVID. It was, well, what now I have all these normal reasons I'm in the hospital for, Mm -hmm. and there's no availability. Yeah. So, you know, even if 
And for me, we have been really conservative with mask wearing and things like that. We really, and even now I'm wearing them, even though I'm vaccinated, Yeah, me too. not, but not just for me, for the people around me mm-hmm. who maybe aren't well enough to get the vaccine right now, or maybe they don't know it yet, but they are getting ready to get diagnosed with leukemia. Like mm-hmm. I'm getting off topic, but my point <laughs> is my point I really, is we wear my ours for my daughter because we don't know what's wrong with her and when she got exactly COVID, she got really sick and she was fully vaccinated and so her doctor doesn't even know if she can if she's producing enough antibodies right. to covid and so we're like oh my god i couldn't live with myself if i gave her covid if i couldn't live with myself i didn't try everything i could to prevent exactly. giving her covid and i gave exactly it So I found it exactly. And I found it really frustrating throughout the entire process. And even now that people kind of are just, I understand because the reality is I think by nature we're selfish people, you know, but the inability for some people to realize that this is not just about COVID. It is now about what we were talking about with our health care being interrupted, you know, and so the importance throughout the process of the masks was so significant. And I, as a chronically ill person, I felt really discouraged by, Mm -hmm. it was just kind of this mindset of, well, if I don't care to wear one, you shouldn't care what I'm doing, but it's like, you don't understand what you're not. You might be the reason why my kids don't get to have a mom when, you know, yeah. Yeah, Ugh, no, it's frustrating. I know. And it's definitely, I, I appreciate you sharing your perspective. I, I'm glad like I, I misunderstood the long COVID thing because we got to like <laughs> we got to talk about this because like it's so important. And I, I think a lot of times we don't think about all the things like in in our heads, those of us who are not experiencing these things in our heads, it is some stranger like we're disconnected from this stranger who is experiencing these things who's at risk. Right. We think it's really rare and it's, you know, we don't have to worry about it. They have to worry about it. But then when it comes home, like for you, it's you, for me, it's my daughter. And then we're like, Oh my God, like this, this, my actions could potentially like harm somebody Mm -hmm. else. And I'm not saying that we like bubble up in our house and we don't ever leave no. or anything like that. I mean, I'm in college. I go to classes, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And my college on April 4th is no longer requiring masks. And I've already told people around me, I'm still going to wear them. One, I don't know if you're vaccinated Two, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to be careful for my daughter and, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm glad we got on that topic because I, mm-hmm. I think your perspective is really important when it comes to that, because like, it's not gone, it's not going mm-hmm. away and we'll probably experience another surge in the next couple months. Like it's just, it's just cyclical and it keeps like happening. Um, Agreed. Well, I could talk about this for a long time. I have mm-hmm. opinions about it. And Me too. Well, I'm sure you and do. I was trying, I'm trying to be so politically correct, but, <laughs> <I know. laughs> and the reality is, uh, you know, I am a really understanding person because I do believe that our mindset is made up of our, our perspectives and our perceptions are about what we've experienced up until now. A lot of those things being out of our control. So I tend to be a really empathetic and compassionate person. But for me, when it comes to the health of another person, I'm always going to do 
I'm going to always take the next step, even if I don't know you, because yeah. I want someone to do the same for me. Yeah. I no. need, and actually I need someone to do the same for yeah. me, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I try, I try to be more politically correct on this podcast, but it doesn't always work out that way. I have strong I understand. feelings. <laughs> I, I really do understand. It has been a very discouraging thing to watch our nation fracture into two during this process. And I study social psychology, like that is my interest. And so I understand logically what is going on on a psychological level for this, but it does not help my strong feelings. (laughs) Right. Well, especially since you have a daughter who's undiagnosed, you don't know what, you have no no idea idea what the implications could be. So as we wrap up the podcast today, Stacey, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Thank you. I think that's an awesome question. So really what everything that I talk about and stand for is about honoring your own needs. Mm -hmm. It's about whatever that need is. It's about honoring it. If it means that you, for a long time, I ran my body ragged. And I finally learned to start honoring my needs and saying no. And that made a big difference in my quality of life. Mm -hmm. And I find around me women all the time, like we are actually created. We are built and nurtured in a way that we are taught to not honor our needs. Mm -hmm. Motherhood is very much you completely forego your own needs. Yeah. But the reality is if we don't want to experience burnout, if we want to continue to live in joy, if we don't want to be lost in depression and anxiety, we have to learn to stand up and honor our own needs. Yeah. And that's something that I spend a lot of time talking to my children about. It is very much second nature as a mother to honor your own needs as a woman. Yeah. I know you know exactly what I mean. And to the choir here. (laughs) Yeah. And I see it. It is so sad to me. Like my daughter has been raised in this manner since she was a baby and she still has this innate bit of her where she wants to sacrifice, sacrifice her own needs for me or for my, her brother or her friends at school. Yeah. So I just think it's really important that we continue to hold space for our fellow women and to continue to say, whatever you need, I I'm here for that, whatever it is that you need. And to, and also what you need today and what you need tomorrow might be very different. Guess what? That's all right too. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I, I cringe when I see posts about like, you need to put your kids first. And I'm like, I love my kids, but let me tell you what the years I spent putting my kids first and not taking my needs into consideration. I did damage to myself during that time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I just heard, um, I think Jim Carrey is one of the most spiritual and just wise people living. I don't know if you've listened to him from that perspective, but I would encourage you and your listeners to do that. But I just heard him talk about, um, a spiritual teacher of his talks about 
depression is like your body saying, um, fuck you to this role that you're playing saying, um, I'm not into this role anymore and I'm done. And I think that has, that really resonates with me. You know, how often do we, we create the lives we want, but somehow in our society, we have gotten to this place where we create this life and we expect that that's going to be the life we desire forever. Yeah. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. We have to learn to find joy and then also chase your joy, you know, change things up. Nobody is going to want the same thing forever and ever. And as women, again, not only are we not chasing our joy, but we don't even know what that is anymore. Mm-hmm. I, when I, in the last few years, I've kind of rediscovered myself and really just healed from this and learned to say, this is what I need and want. And it was shocking and really disheartening to the point at which I didn't even know who I was. Yeah. I had to deconstruct everything that had been taught, you know, everything I had learned from even childhood. And then I doesn't mean you can't take it back and say, okay, I am going to hold on to this piece. I do like this. Yeah. But who were you before the world told you who you were supposed to be kind of thing? Exactly. I can, I can absolutely relate to that whole Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. So Stacy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Megan. I, this has been really fun. It's been like chatting with a girlfriend, you know, just chatting. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.